All right, how are we doing? Are y'all happy? All right, I hope you're happy. In fact, y'all are so happy you've, uh, you've evacuated, getting close to look. Look what I'm going to do. I'm going to come a little bit closer to you. Um, you should be happy today. You know, yesterday was uh, just perfect weather, and then I saw the forecast for today, and I thought that's, that is exactly how Satan would want to close out uh, a series on happiness, is giving us this gloom, giving you every excuse to skip church, but you're here. And so give yourself a, a little... Uh, pat on the back for that. Now, also, um, there's a sense of anticipation I can feel in here because y'all know that uh, the Dallas Renegades start uh, the XFL today and, uh, and we're picked to uh, win the championship at the end of the season. And so just the, the fact that Dallas, for the first time in 20 years, there's football in Dallas, y'all, that might win. Man, I thought that would be a little more excited. I, I, I thought that, man... Well, we're talking about happiness is a choice today, and it is. Happiness is a choice. It's a choice that we make, and we all know this is true, even though we fight this idea that happiness is a choice, that you can choose in this moment to be happy. Uh, I was thinking about all the different ways in which we see this in our life, yet we still resist this idea that I could choose to be happy. We think, uh, we look at somebody's situation and we think, well, of course I would be happy if I was in their situation. But we look at our situation, well, how could I be happy? But it is a choice. This week I got uh, an email from um, Ethel, who is one of our uh, friends in Peru, and she sent me a couple of photos. I'm going to uh, show you some of the photos that she, uh, that she sent. Uh, these are her training from last week, uh, pastors that we, um, that we were able to connect with on our mission trips in Peru this past year in 2019. And so uh, that's Ethel right there. She's all of five foot three, but man, she just does, she commands the room. She's very good at what she does. But what was interesting is, is I, was, I got these pictures and I was like, man, what an awesome year we had in Peru. What an awesome, man, it just makes me so happy. I'm excited to think about going back to Peru. I was just so excited. But then I started thinking about the actual trips to Peru. And this is, this is how happiness works. I got so excited. I was happy, you know, just looking at these pictures. And then if you think about the actual details of our trips this year, uh, one of the trips was delayed a whole day. They missed the flight. It was, the flight was delayed. Um, on my trip, we got there, and uh, I got sick immediately. I was sick the whole time. In fact, our entire team, except for a couple of people, got sick most of the time. And when you're on a, a mission trip, there's so much downtime that you kind of just you sit around for so much. The first time that I was ever introduced to the, uh, the South American siesta, I was just shocked at, I mean, they will shut down at, at lunchtime. They will shut down for a few hours and just say, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to sit on the couch in the middle of the day for three hours. And it was so unproductive. And I was just like, what are we doing here? But, you know, I think back on every trip I've been to and I just get so happy. I'm so excited. Yet there's no, like, the, rarely do you have those moments where you're like, man, that's, that's, that's the moment I've been waiting for. And this is scientifically proven that that's how happiness works. That's how memories seem to, to sometimes elevate an experience that, uh, that may not have been at, at any moment, man, this is what happiness is about. I'll give you an example. There was a, a survey done on Disney vacations. And how many of y'all have ever been to Disney any time in your life? Now, so you're going to resonate with this, okay? They did a survey where they handed this survey, and during, throughout the, the vacation, 
they, the respondents would have to rate how they were feeling at that exact moment. And so the first time they would have to is they would get up, getting the kids uh, awake, getting them to breakfast and getting them dressed, and they would rate how happy are you at this moment. And it was always a two or a three, okay? It was really low. And then they would say, okay, you're on the, the, the um, monorail or the bus getting there and you walk in. How do you feel just walking in the park? It's like a six or a seven sometimes. Okay, they're standing in line for it's a small world, and they're standing in line, and the kids are complaining this and that, and they didn't get a fast pass or all of that, and so they're, they're complaining, and it's always, man, a three or a four. And what was interesting is for the average person going to Disney, there's never a moment that they rated above a six or a seven. It's very, very rare at Disney while you're there to rate your experience of, man, this is a 10. You're sitting on, it's a small world, and, and you're judging, okay, at least the kids seem to be enjoying this, right? But most of the adults, when they rate that, they rated it like a four or a five. And when they say why they rated a four or five, they say it would have been lower, but I, it looked like my spouse was having a little time of relaxation, so I rated it a little higher, because at least we were resting. What's interesting, though, is when they come back and survey them six months after the Disney vacation, the average person rates the Disney vacation at a nine. Even though there was not one moment during the vacation that they rated a nine. But yet that's how happiness works. It is a choice. This is why whenever you talk to an older couple and you've got your kids and the older couple that's had kids grown up, they always say, hey, these are the best days of your life. And what do you think? Oh my gosh. You know, because you're in it. And you don't rate any moment as a 9 or 10, but, but when we look back on it, oh, it was so great. I remember when we would stay up, and it was just so great. Though It was so memorable and just such cherished time of holding my kid at, you know, 2 in the morning and just that me. And, you know, no one really thinks like that, but we go back and we think about happiness, and it just becomes something where it's a choice we make to elevate something to, you know what, I'm happy I was happy then. And we can do the same in the present. We can make the decision, you know what, I am going to be happy. It is a decision. You know, I can look at my kids before we go through an experience, and I can pretty much tell you if they're going to be happy during the experience just by their attitudes. I can look and I can see, are they going to choose to be happy? Last night we were going out for burgers and I had one of my kids that, as we were getting ready to go, I'm not going. I'm not going. And I could just see, you're making a choice to go get a free, you know, dinner, have burgers and fries, and you're going to choose not to be happy. And so we know, and it ended up being a great time, and they made the choice, you know what, I am going to be happy because I'm getting free burgers. I am going to be happy. But it's a choice we make. But here's the interesting thing about choosing to be happy is, if you really think about it, you know it's true. You know that every time you think, man, this was a good experience, even if it was a hard experience, it was a choice that you made, but yet it's so easy for us to say, you know what, I just don't have the strength, or you know what, I, I'm just the wrong type of person because I, don't, I can't make that choice to be happy. And, and what I'm going through, and maybe you're going through some tough things right now, maybe you have people in your life that are facing hard things right now, and you think, you know what, it's just so hard right now to choose to be happy. I'm just not that person. I'm not that guy. I'm not that gal. I just can't do it, because sometimes it is hard to make that decision.
to be happy. And that's why as we continue through Philippians and we close out this series, it's just so nice to know the context of the book that we've been going through in the Bible. This letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Because as we've said every week, the context tells you so much about happiness and about how a Christ follower finds happiness. Here we have the Apostle Paul sitting in jail on death row, writing to a church that, that he hasn't been able to visit in a while, but yet he, he continuously uses words like happy, joyful, rejoicing, I thank God, contentment. He says these things over and over again. So just the context alone speaks to how powerful Christ can be in the joy and contentment for a Christ follower. Because one of the, the themes we've seen throughout is that most of us think about happiness as happening to us from the outside in. But as we've kind of delved into the life of Paul and his experience sitting in jail, writing a letter of joy, we see that for a Christ follower, joy and happiness is entirely different than what most people think about. And, and until you experience, it's really hard for us to really get the full idea, the full experience to you if you've never experienced it. But for a Christ follower, happiness is from the inside out. God changes your heart. God gives you a different view of the world. And you're able to find joy even in hard circumstances. And that is what I want for us all today. That is why I think it's a great to close on what's probably the, one of the most important verses in the Bible, but also one of the most misinterpreted um, uh, verses in the Bible as well. And we're going to conclude on that, but we're going to start on verse 10. And I'm just going to go verse by verse. We're going to hit four verses today. Paul starts off, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that at now at length, you have, at length you have revived your concern for me. For indeed you were concerned with me, but you had no opportunity. And he's just reminding them that he's thankful for them. He has an attitude of gratitude for the Philippian church because they have actually sent a financial gift to him, although he's sitting on death row, so there's not a lot he's going to be able to do um, with it. So, but he, he makes this statement, you know what, I, I'm thankful that you have, you have responded to my letters, that you are, are reaching out to me. And he has this, this attitude of gratitude, and we can't go through a series on happiness without talking about gratitude. Gratitude is such an important part of being happy. It's such an important part. If you want to go through life in hard circumstances, you have to, to be able to understand gratitude. Now, this word gratitude, the, the Latin root of it is where we get words like uh, graciousness and gratefulness and grace. And just having this, this attitude that, you know what, I might not deserve this. But man, what a blessing. There's a, a quote that I love. It's from G.K. Chesterton, who was actually a Christ follower, lived in the late 1800s. He says this, Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. In other words, when we're, gra when we're, we're grateful for something, it's our ability to say, you know what, not only am I happy this happens, but it actually expands on our happiness. It makes us happier when we're grateful for something. And then really, gratitude starts when you realize that, that none of this was promised to me. That everything that I have is a blessing from God. That your life itself is a blessing from 
God. But yet, most of us, because we don't live in that state of mind most of the time, most of us have everything, at least that we think, you know, 10 years ago, where you are now, you'd be like, man, I'm going to have my own house, I'm going to have my, my kids are going to be doing good, or, or my job's going to be, you know, in a place I never thought it would be. Most of us, where we are right now, we never really have to sit around and think, you know what, this is all the blessing of God. So we have to step back and, and, and lose our entitlement a little bit. For Paul, he's in a place where, you know what, <laughs> everything's been taken from him. And so now he hears this, this gift has been sent and he gets excited and he's like, you know what, I'm just thankful. You didn't have to do that. And he, instead of him sitting there thinking, man, you should have done this a long time ago, he says, I'm just thankful that you have done this. You know, uh, a few months ago, I made the decision I was going to, going to end my day being grateful. Every single night, I was going to be, go through a list of things I, I am grateful for. And I didn't do like a gratitude journal, which I know some people will write down things they're grateful for. That's great. What I did is I just had a note in, I have a notebook that I look at before I go to bed and I, when I wake up, just a, like a planner, just to make sure that I'm, I'm on track for the day. And the last thing it said for a few weeks was, be grateful. What are you grateful for? And so what I, I got in the habit of doing was I would lay down and then I would just go through a list of all the things I was grateful for. I would I usually, do, I was doing this right after I had laid my daughter down and so I would think, you know what, thank you God for, for just blessing me with such a wonderful daughter and the opportunity I just had to, to tuck her in and sing with her and pray with her. Thank you for that. And uh, usually uh, my kids are, are still awake when I go to bed and they're usually being loud out in the, the living room. And so usually I'm like, thank you, Lord, for my boys. Thank you so much that you, they just bring so much joy. And an interesting thing happened. I, I did this for several weeks, but like most habits, it kind of got to the point where I, I quit looking in that journal. I quit reminding myself, hey, I need to do this. But somehow, almost magically, if I could give this to you, if I could impart this to you, I would. For some reason, turning my head to the left when I lay down in bed became a trigger for gratitude. And so, the, still to this day, months afterwards, I lay down and I don't think about being joyful. And that may not be my first thought. But as soon as I look to the left, maybe it's because I'm looking at my wife, I don't know. But as soon as I look to the left, there's this trigger in my, in my mind that just says, thank you, Lord. Somehow, this gratefulness got, got, got connected with this motion of turning my head when I go to sleep. And so every day since, when I've gone to bed, I've just had this, this overwhelming, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for what you have done. And, and I look back in my journals and I look back at, at, at the things, at how I've uh, looked at the last few months and I see, and I see it has reflected in the, usually the next day I, I'll kind of just talk about my day of what I did the day before in, in a journal. And you can tell that just that attitude of gratitude has made a difference going to bed. And Paul starts off just with this as he's ending this letter, he says, I just want to let you know I am grateful. Thank you. I rejoice in what you're doing. And then he says, but not that I'm speaking of being in need, which is an interesting thing, again, for somebody on death row who's sitting in a cell. He, we know he was probably chained to the guard. So it's not just that he's sitting in a cell. He's actually chained to the guard that is watching him. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. And then he says what, what to me is a fascinating thing. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, to be happy. 
I was reading this, and I've read this uh, passage several times, but that word learned really stuck with me. I have learned to be happy. How many of us, when we think about being happy, we think about it as a skill? I got to learn how to be happy. You know, you got to learn how to ride a bike. You got to learn how to, how to do these things. You got to learn, right? And happiness is something you have to learn. And I actually talked about this last week. We talked about happiness is something that we have to practice. That's how you learn, is you practice something. And so I was thinking about this, just this idea that most of us, when it comes, when it comes to being happy, we don't think that it's something we need to sit down and study. We need to practice this. We need to, we need to learn how to be happy in any situation. But Paul says that's how he got there, is he learned it. I was uh, watching a, a documentary on PBS, and it was over... Uh, John Lewis, who is a, a representative in Georgia, and he was talking about the Tennessee sit-ins uh, from the 1960s. And, and something he said just caught my mind that was, that it made me think so many uh, just powerful thoughts, but he was talking about the fact that in 1960 in Nashville, in, in downtown Nashville, it was not integrated. In the lunch counters, uh, you would have the colored, uh, coloreds only sign and you'd have the whites only sign. And so the, there was a student movement led by John Lewis and several other people that they were going to integrate, they were going to push for integration in these lunch counters. And so they, they got the students, and the students went in, and the students would sit at the whites-only lunch counter. And most of the students were black, but there were some that were also white that were, were kind of uh, um, helping out, Confederates, if you will, that were, were with them on the journey. But... They would get arrested, and as they were arrested, before the police could return to, to see how things were going, a new set of students would come in. And there were just waves and waves. So they would arrest uh, the African-American students, and then another wave would come in. And what was interesting is this, this went on for weeks. And on about the third week, a whole bunch uh, of racist uh, white people showed up, and they, and they got very belligerent, and they are very angry. And yet, none of the students reacted to the anger. They were all, they would sit there, and some of them were spat on, some of them were punched, and, and they were yelled all sorts of different uh, names. And as they were interviewing uh, John Lewis, he said, yeah, this is something that we practiced. We had to practice nonviolence. And when he said that to me, I thought that is the, the weirdest concept. Because most of us, when we hear of somebody being nonviolent, we think, well, that's the easy way. That would be the easy thing to do. Is it, we almost say it's doing nothing. It would be easy. We're just going to do nonviolent, nothing. But he said, well, what we would do is for months, we would get all of the students and all of the black students would sit there and all of the white students who were, were for the cause that wanted to help out and see these lunch, uh, these lunch counters integrated, what we would have the white students do is we would have them uh, yell, spit, hit, do anything they could to try to get a reaction out of these black students. And the black students would practice every day being spit at, yelled at, every name imaginable by people that was for them. And they would, they would condition themselves to be ready for that moment so much that when the time came and they actually did the sit-in, they were able to stay there nonviolent and, and very quickly after that. It was a, a, a big success. In fact, the mayor came out. He saw this, and the mayor was like, There's, I, I can't stay silent. This is wrong. We cannot have these. We've got to integrate this. And so I say that just to say, if, if nonviolence, there's so many things that we say, 
you know, it, it didn't take practice. That's a ridiculous idea that you could practice or learn something. But nonviolence is something that has to be practiced and learned. How much more is happiness, something that we take for granted, that it's just something that, that we're supposed to get and feel, and, 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 and I should just be happy. You either are happy or you aren't. You know, scientifically, they, they've done a lot of studies, and they've found that about 50% of people who are happy, who say they are happy most of the time, about 50% is personality. And you know this. There are some people that they're just, they default at not happy. And then there are some people that just defaulted happy. And most of you that are defaulting at not happy, you don't like the people that defaulted happy, right? They're kind of, oh my gosh, they're so happy. But, but they've done studies and they've shown that 40% of happiness is an intentional decision. It's an intentional decision to practice happiness. And I thought that is a fascinating thing. That even if you uh, default at unhappy, you can make yourself happy just by practicing happiness. John uh, Williams and I were talking about this concept of practicing. Uh, It's such a freeing thing to practice. You know, a lot of times when we we talk about following Christ, we talk about uh, disciplines. You gotta have spiritual discipline. You gotta be disciplined. And most of us though, discipline is a hard word because discipline implies for perfection, right? I gotta be, man, I'm just not disciplined. We tell tell ourselves these things. But when you say, you know what, I'm just going to practice. I'm going to practice following Christ. I'm going I'm to practice every single day. There's a, a graciousness. There's a freedom in practice. And so we t- we're talking about, uh, in- instead of saying, hey, you know what, I'm just uh, the discipline of, of reading my Bible. You know, some of us say, you know, I'm just not disciplined. But instead this week, I want to challenge you. What if you just said, you know what, I'm going to practice reading my Bible. Instead of saying, I'm going to try to, to be disciplined and read the Bible seven days a week. You know what? I'm going to pra- practice reading my Bible this week. And then all of a sudden, let's say you get three out, of, three out of seven days. Maybe you get two out of seven. Hey, you were just practicing, right? You'll do better next week. You were just practicing. There's a lot of grace in this idea of practice. Some of us, when it comes to generosity or waking up early, if we, we, we label ourselves, you know what, I just can't do it, I'm not good enough. But what I want us to see is this idea of practice and the grace that's built in it is really what I want for us. It's not this following Christ as an expectation of you're not good enough, you'll never get there because you're not smart enough or you don't have the discipline. Instead, I want us to see our journey in Christ as every single day, you know what, we're going to practice we're going to practice reading our Bibles, and if, if we don't do good one day, we're going to practice, and we're going to keep practicing until we get good at something, because that's how you get good. Maybe you're struggling with generosity right now. You know what? We're going to practice. We're going to give you an opportunity in a little bit to practice generosity, and you're going to have that opportunity to practice anything that Christ has called us to. You have the opportunity to practice that, and happiness is no exception. Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation." And then in verse 12, look what he says. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of abundance and need. He says, I've been there. There are times when he was a Pharisee where he ate at the finest tables, and he says, I've been there, and I found how to be happy. And I've also, I've been in a prison cell and I know how to be happy in a prison cell when my life is on the line. I know how in both of them. And the first thing that shows us is that for a Christian, getting or not getting is not our source of happiness. 
Our source of happiness is never in what we get or don't get. Another uh, letter Paul writes to his friend Timothy, he says this. He says, if we have food and clothing, we will be happy with these. If I have food and clothing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise Jesus and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what Jesus has called me to do. I'm going to be happy as long as I just have clothing and some food. You know, it's a, it's a powerful thing when we realize that our circumstances don't determine our happiness. Uh, I read a story this week of uh, a man named Maurice Bickham. Maurice was uh, put in prison for life. He was actually put on death row, but it was, kind of, it was the, the state of Louisiana changed their law, and they, just, they, they changed everyone on death row to um, life in prison. Now, Maurice was put in prison in 1957 uh, because a member of the Ku Klux Klan saw a black man, or said he saw a black man shoot the sheriff a sheriff in Louisiana, and he pointed out Maurice as that man. And so this Ku Klux Klan uh, member who, uh, turns out, wasn't even there, put him in jail just on his testimony alone. And for 37 and a half years, Maurice sat in jail in the Louisiana State Penitentiary. And finally, they took up this case and uh, it was before DNA. They just went back and they looked at the facts and they said, this is the most ridiculous case. There's no way this man is guilty of this. And he was exonerated in 1996. And what, what astounds me about the story, though, is they ask Maurice about this. They ask him, what, what do you have to say about 37 years? In fact, I mean, it's just uh, from 1958 to 1996. And this is what his quote was. I don't have one minute's regret. It was a glorious experience. Can you imagine the power of someone to take life in prison, uh, uh, unfair at that, the most unfair in which it was overturned, not even with DNA, it was just on this is a ridiculous case, and it was overturned, and he comes out and he makes this choice. You know what? It wasn't even a bad experience. It was a glorious experience. That doesn't at least show you the power that we can have in choosing happiness. I don't know what else can. But most of us hear a story like that, and you're like, well, he must have been a special man. He, and, he, and he was, but it, I could never be like that. I could never choose happiness, even in my circumstance. There's no way. How could I ever choose happiness? In fact, right now, some of you, you just, you're in a hard season, or maybe you're, you're facing a hard season. You think I just... Don't think I've got the strength to choose happiness. And that's where we get to what I think is the most misquoted, most misappropriated verse. Paul says this. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Later on, versions would say, they clarified and they would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This verse means a lot of things to a lot of people, but I want to tell you some things it doesn't mean, okay? It doesn't mean you can dunk a basketball if you'll just have enough faith, okay? That's not what it means. It's not the prosperity gospel. It doesn't mean that you could heal grandma if you just had a little more faith. That is not what this verse means. When you look at this verse in context, Paul is saying, listen, I've learned how to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to, to abound. He says, I know how to be happy in every circumstance. And we all look at that and say, you're on death row. That's ridiculous. And Paul says, it is Christ who gives me the strength to do these things. That's a better translation. In fact, some translate it that way. I can do all of these things 
through Christ. Now, if you have this on your, you know, your mirror and this is what gets you out of bed, you can just keep quoting it, okay? That, hey, you're going to be able to, to achieve your dreams. I hope, I hope that happens. But understand in context what Paul is saying, listen, when you have the power of Christ in you, when you have the strength that only Christ can give, you can face anything in this world. You can stare down a bad diagnosis. You can stare down hard situations. And you can still find contentment of knowing Jesus Christ is with you. God is with you. And He can give you a strength that no one else can give you to find joy and happiness. I can do all things through Christ. And he specifically, He's talking about joy. And what I like about this is it shows you Paul is never focused on his circumstance. He's always focused on what Christ is doing in him. That's why when you meet a a Christ follower who is sold out for Jesus, you meet someone and you just say, man, their life has been transformed. They were one person and now they're another person and they have this joy that always abounds. And you know, I knew this person before. That's not them. Somebody else, this strength comes from somewhere else. And that is what I want us to see is that when we sell out for Jesus, when we go all in and say, you know, Christ is going to be my strength. I'm going to look for my life to align with him. My mission in life is going to be his. That is where you begin to have Christ change your heart, change your life. And you can't get there until you go in. You can't, you can't, you can see it, but you'll never have that true joy of knowing what God can do if you just go all in. You see, the biggest thing I want you to see and this is sometimes how you, you can see happiness in people. I think besides gratitude, one of the biggest ways we, that you can tell somebody truly has a joy or happiness in them is they are flexible. They can roll with almost any punches. You know, when we are finding our happiness in Christ and His strength, it makes us the most flexible people on earth. And I'm not talking about putting your head, you know, hand behind your, your head. I'm talking about hearing the stories of missionaries who go into the hardest places and f- still find the joy of Christ. In fact, a trigger for us when we, if you want to know, am I finding my joy in Christ or am I finding it in my circumstances? Just ask yourself this question. Have you ever said to yourself, you know what? I can't be, I could never be happy there. Or maybe you say, you know, I can't be happy because of, and you, you lay out a reason, whatever your reason is. Whenever you, you, you lay out that reason, what you're saying is, I'm going to focus on my circ- circumstance more than Christ in me and what he has called me to. But when we begin to realize we can focus on what Christ is calling us to and doing in us, all of a sudden he will give us the strength that we need. And you'll look back on, on, on opportunities and you'll say, you know what, that was the greatest opportunity. Have you ever thought about someone who was called by God to do something hard? Maybe a missionary. Think about being called to the mission field. Missionaries are called, and, and some missionaries that go for a long term, they're called and they have to learn a new language. They go and have to learn a whole new culture. They're around a whole bunch of people that they don't know and the people that were their support system are not around anymore. But yet, in fact, I had a conversation uh, a week ago with a, uh, a man that had just come off the mission field a few years ago, and he missed it so much, even though it was one of the hardest times of his life. How does that happen? It happens. We look back on those times. They look back and they say, that was the greatest moment, because they know 
It wasn't about how we would rate the experience. It's that we know what Christ was doing in us then, and we know what he's doing in us now. Reminds me of, of stories of people who've just been through circumstances where you're like, man, that would stink. And then they say, you know what, that was the best thing. You ever heard those stories? The, the most famous is Pete Best. How many know who Pete Best is? Pete Best is the, uh, the, the drummer who was replaced by Ringo Starr and the Beatles. But you know that he has a, a quote. He says, I would never have been happy in the Beatles. You know, he looks back on the opportunity missing. I would never have been happy there. I have a friend that, uh, his name is Joel. We had this connection in elementary school because his name was Joel. I was Joel. And uh, I connected with him a few years ago. And we just started talking, and I noticed in his Facebook feed that he was friends with uh, all of the members of NSYNC. And like, he would be out on a Saturday night with, with all of the, with NSYNC. And I was like, that is so bizarre. And, uh, and then he went to this one, there's one picture of him, and he's by this guy that, you know, the, there's a song, Despacio. And uh, the singer of that had like all these Grammys from this song. And he's just sitting there in the living room and all these Grammys are in the back. And so I'm like, what happened? Like, why are you with these people? And he's like, oh, well, I was in a, in a, in a, um, a music group with these guys in high school. And they all, uh, we had this opportunity where we could go um, move and, 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 join, and start a group or we could go to college. And out of all of them, he said, I'm the one that chose to go to college. And, and I just looked and I said, oh, you know, I had this, I felt bad for him. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. He's like, it was the best decision I ever made. And even though he could have, uh, you know, it could have gone a lot different. Instead, he, he looks at his wife, he looks at his family, and he says, you know, I, I thank God. And this is what he said. He said, I thank God every day that he gave me the wisdom to make that choice and bring me to where I am. And that is what, it, that is what the power of Christ in us can do. I'm going to invite uh, the band up uh, right now, and we're going to go ahead and end uh, the sermon. And I know that's kind of shocking because I got three minutes left, and so y'all are like, what? But, uh, but I want to end this, uh, this sermon and this series in, in an interesting way. I was thinking back to some of my best experiences in church, and when I was a little kid in uh, church, I liked when I would be able to talk a little bit. And there's a, a thing that, I would, that our church would do uh, growing up, if you're in a traditional church, you've heard it's a call and response. I want to give us a call and response uh, uh, to end this series. And I, I think that in context, now that we've talked a little about the context of that verse, I can do all things through Christ. I want to just give you uh, a little vision, and I want you to repeat back just this simple statement. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we're going to practice one time. So I'm going to say, I'm just going to point to you. You're going to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, let's practice. Practice. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now we're going to stand up. We're going to stand up. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, to, to think through a situation that may happen this week. Maybe you're facing it. Maybe you have another situation as well. But I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to point to you, or I'll raise my hand so y'all in the back can see. And when I raise my hands, I just want us to, to say that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strength, strengthens me. And we're just going to do a four or five of these, and then we're going to continue worshiping. But I want us to, to ingrain this verse in context. So that this week or, or going on, if maybe you're struggling with joy, you're struggling with happiness, and you're going through hard things, that you can quote this verse, and you can, you can really quote it in context, and you know, even in this situation, Christ has given me the power 
to find joy and contentment. This week, I know that God is going to call me to a hard conversation or a difficult circumstance. This week, I might be called to give generously to someone in need more than I think I can. Y'all can get a little more excited than that. This week, I will be tempted to quit or to give up something in weakness, but I'm going to keep going because This week, I will be faced with a difficult person at work or at school, and I will need to lead with forgiveness. This week, I will have an opportunity to go the second mile with someone. I will have the strength to do more than I thought possible because... Let's continue worshiping.